Matt Mosley Show with Stephen Simcox, ESPN Central Texas, and uh, proud to be joined by the Rangers' uh, legendary Hall of Fame uh, play-by-play announcer, the voice of the Rangers, Eric Nadell. And uh, Eric, it's great to uh, great to visit with you again. It's been too long. I would say that uh, is it as a broadcaster, hearing and being now in ballparks, including your own. Um, where you have a, a pretty large crowds. I know you still go on the road. Some places don't allow it. But as a broadcaster, does that does that help you a little bit? Do you do you feel a little more energy when you can actually uh, hear the hear real crowd noise? Yeah, definitely, Matt. Especially given the fact that this new ballpark of the Rangers is really loud. Um, we figured it would be that way because of the way it's built where um, it's extremely steep and built more along the lines, uh, I think, of an arena rather than the old-fashioned baseball park where the slope is very gradual. Um, as a result, I think it's much louder than the other ballpark. The number of people are here compared to a Globe Life Park across the street. I think it's a lot louder in the new ballpark. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch, fun to hear, and um, and and the Rangers have uh, have have been on a nice run. Lose last night, but still get a pretty good pitching performance. Obviously, Gibson's been uh, really, really on a good run. Eric is, uh, I, I, one of the things Galloway and I always talk to you about. It runs like this. I think we always ask you, is it sustainable? And I think you taught us over the years, and we learned on our own that no, you're not going to come back. All the time, it is though, Eric. It's like one of those things you got to ride it when it happens. And in May, this team's ability to, for whatever reason, score a lot of runs and outscore their opponents late in games from the seventh inning on, um, Eric. I, I it, it, uh, it, it's one of those things. What do you make of it? Are you, you know, you're someone who doesn't get too bowled over by runs, but. Uh, in terms of when a team goes on a tear like this, but what do you what do you make of, of of what this team is doing in May? Well, I think basically what what's happened that's allowed the Rangers to win these games late, more than the hitters scoring runs late, is the bullpen is really pitching well right now. Um, things settled down once Joely Rodriguez came back. You know, he missed the first few weeks. Once he came back and took over the eighth inning. The rest of the bullpen could fall into place, and these rookies who are the rest of the bullpen, you know, Taylor Hearn and John King, uh, a couple of other guys there too, um, Josh Bores, the little five kid, Brett DeGus, uh, they were a little shaky early in the season. They're not shaky anymore. So they've kind of gotten their feet under them, uh, allowing the Rangers, you know, when they score late to actually win these games earlier in the year. Uh, nobody was shutting the door, you know, from the sixth inning on. But that's happening now. And the Rangers' offense is pretty good. I think the key to scoring, you know, lately uh, has revolved around Joey Gallo starting to swing the bat better and Willie Calhoun coming off the injured list. And, of course, Adolis Garcia, who has some sort of late-inning magic thing going on (laughs) um, where it seems like the, the majority of the runs he drives in occur late in games. Yeah, that's been talking to Eric Nadell, the um, uh, voice of the Ra- the Texas Rangers. Adolis Garcia has emerged as really the story of the season. I'm, I started yesterday uh, on Twitter, almost uh, trying to see, okay, is this guy, 
Is this guy an all-star? He's already starting to be mentioned as possible AL Rookie of the Year. Um, what First thing on him the other night, I loved your call at home plate, the, the excitement level, all of that, and you just nailed every bit of it. And, Eric, there was a lot of stuff going on on that play. There was a boot booting the ball, picking it up. But just on that specific play, Eric, the, the ball arrived to watching that, and I'm sure calling it, were you a little shocked at how quickly – I mean, that ball, and I know Heim had to make a nice play to, to scoop it and then get over there and make the tag, but the ball beat the runner by a lot. I, I, I guess I was just shocked at that, that missile that came in there. Is this, uh, is this this part of the Garcia magic? It is. You know, when they talk about five tools players, they're usually exaggerating at least one of the tools. But in his <laughs> case, they're not. You know, the arm is as big a tool as the other's. And, you know, what made the play incredible to me, too, was how quickly he got to the ball after it kicked away from him. And then from a position that wasn't exactly an ideal throwing position, he was kind of moving to his right to retrieve the ball, to then wheel and make that throw and get it close enough to the plate that the catcher, who needed to to make an incredible pick, because it was kind of an in-between hop, that the catcher, you know, was able to to get the ball close enough to home plate to then dive and get the runner. Um, there was so much going on, and you know, in calling the play too, it was challenging because there was too much going on, and you couldn't really explain it all as mm-hmm. it was happening, or the whole thing would have been too rushed. It's like really the only important thing in making that call was where are the runners? Uh, is that second runner going to try to score? He's a tying run, and so my focus really from the time the ball dropped was where's that runner and I immediately went to pick him up and he was he was at third and the coach was waving him in and it, so at that point the focus was entirely on the runner and I didn't really appreciate the throw entirely until I saw a replay yeah well you 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 kept it clean there was a lot going on and it sounded great and then uh eric that i mean that that the guy they threw out the plate the center fielder i mean am i right wasn't that the center fielder and, and for the yeah he runs for the really Mariners? Well. yeah yeah and so he runs pretty well and uh and again just uh that that ball came came home so quickly now eric you're a guy who's uh you know about cuba uh you're a well-traveled man and and you've you've talked about that in the past as some of your travels but i mean this guy adelise garcia has a really interesting story i mean from cuba to japan i guess he some he ends up with the cardinals somehow but i mean this is a this is a fascinating guy like i, I again who knows if he'll be able to keep this up but eric give us a a, a feel for like how rare it is for somebody to truly like a prospect to find it at age 28, which is what he is. And, and for it to finally click, we saw it a little bit with Nelly years ago. I think he was about 27, 26 or 27 when he hit big. Um, but, but how extremely rare is this? Um, not that rare, but Nelson Cruz is probably the best comp you know, in this case. Um, or he, you know, he just found something. Adolis is different because, you know, he really didn't get to play that much. You know, he was the MVP in the Cuban League in 2015. Uh, you know, he was pretty young then. He left Cuba to play in Japan with the permission of the Cuban government. The Cuban government lets a few players a year, some of the top players, 
go play in Japan, which is basically Japan's major leagues, um, so they can compete in a better league and make some real money. The Cuban government makes the majority of the money from the guy's contract, but the player makes infinitely more money than he makes in Cuba. So the players want to go. Almost invariably, they want to go. In Adolis' case, he may have had in mind that he would not come back to Cuba from Japan. And from everything we've been able to glean in talking to him in these Zooms, that was probably part of his plan when he went to Japan, you know, play over there and then not go back to Cuba so that he could eventually, you know, make his way to the U.S. and play Major League Baseball. And that's what happened. The Cardinals signed him. He was not an unknown. Like I said, he had won the MVP in Cuba. He had been on the Cuban national team. Um, But the Cardinals never really had a spot for him. You know, they had an overcrowded outfield situation. He didn't get an opportunity. Rangers wind up, you know, picking him up. And in spring training last year, he was impressive, but not impressive enough to make the team. He came up once during the season, I think. And again, he had a few at-bats, did not get a chance to play regularly. Uh, but the Rangers maintained control of him, even though they had to pass him through waivers in the offseason. The same thing happened with Nelson Cruz. 29 other teams could have put a waiver claim in on this guy and had him for next to nothing. Nobody did. And the big reason was that he swung at too many pitches out of the strike zone. And they have so much analytic information now on that kind of stuff you figure that at the age of 28, the guy probably is going to be doing that the rest of his career. Well, somehow the Ranger coaches were able to show him something, you know, and there are so many different ways available now of coaching guys on pitch recognition and realizing what it is you can't hit and that you need to lay off this. And it's, it's sunk in with him, you know, and since all the physical tools were there, the desire was there. You know, the hardworking nature was there. Once they showed him what he needed to do, you know, he was able to figure out how to do it. Eric, does the the celebrations or what he throws is bad or just, I mean, obviously, when it's your team, it it feels really exciting, I got to say. But as a longtime broadcaster and, and, you know, you probably have some old school mentality on certain things, does any of that bother you from from some players uh i mean obviously where they come from ha- plays into how their exuberance and all of that does that ever bother you as a longtime observer of the game or do you kind of you kind of like it i like it you know let guys show their emotion um i i don't like any of the unwritten rules you know I, this whole thing about showing <laughs> somebody up unless you're actually taunting the opposition I see nothing wrong with celebrating. Um, just the way I see nothing wrong with stealing a base when your team's winning by seven runs in the eighth inning. You know, in my opinion, you should score as many runs as you can. And if you hit a home run, celebrate as much as you can, as long as you're not pointing at the pitcher when you do it or staring into their dugout or anything like that. Um, that's all fine. You know, if the other team gets offended, well, you know, they should play better. They should pitch better. <laughs> You know, that's my feeling on all that stuff. All the, the the unwritten rules and stuff like that, you know, for me should be thrown out the window. It is uh, Eric Nadell, voice of the Texas Rangers, joining us, Matt Mosley, Stephen Simcox, ESPN Central Texas. Go ahead, Stephen. Eric, I know there's a, a lot of good stories on this team of guys that have kind of figured it out, but 
What have you seen from Jordan Lyles? I know last year was a, a tough year for him, and he really seems to have turned things around in 2021. He's gotten better. Um, he definitely worked hard in the offseason on his slider, which was you know a distant third pitch last year. And now it's become probably his best pitch. Um, it's sharper. He can throw it more easily for strikes. Um, he also reworked his curveball a little bit so that it could be in the strike zone more, or at least perceived by the umpire as being in the strike zone more. You know, the issue he's had this year, and this, you know, has kind of been an issue with him his whole career, just making a few too many mistakes in the strike zone, which is why, you know, he's among the leaders in home runs allowed. But at least he's gotten to the point where he's giving the Rangers, you know, a creditable start every time and a chance to win. And he's been very fortunate this year. He's the Rangers starting pitcher who's gotten the most run support. So in a lot of cases, those games have gone well. And even after he's left the game, his tandem partner generally has pitched well. Uh, so the Rangers have been able to win those games, even when Jordan hasn't been at his best. Yeah, that's a new term there, Eric. When you were growing up, falling in love with baseball, I don't think they, they had the uh, the phrase tandem partner. I, I <laughs> no, I don't think Whitey Ford had a tandem partner very often <laughs> when he went to the mound for the Yankees. It, it was like, you need nine today, Whitey. Yeah, there you go, Whitey. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Here's the ball. Get out there and bring it home. What Our audience is um, uh, huge fans of the Big 12. A couple of prospects that I wanted to run by you to just kind of hear what, uh, see what you think. Josh Young was taken, Texas Tech, obviously, uh, first-round pick for the Rangers. Um, Eric, with kind of what we're seeing, and obviously the Rangers are getting some good play all throughout their infield right now. Um, in some ways, has because of that, has Josh Young's arrival, you think, maybe been pushed back a little bit? We thought he would probably arrive, and, and obviously he had an injury that but, that uh, delayed him a bit. What, what, what do you think about uh, uh, Josh, Josh Young and, and what you're hearing about him and, and what his arrival, when it might be? Yeah, at this point, you know, given how well Charlie Culberson is playing and how well Brock Holt was playing um, before he went on the injured list, I, you know, Josh is going to have to force his way into the lineup. It, it was just hard to do when he's not playing. You know, he's got this foot injury and he's not going to be playing the first month of the season in the minors. So, you know, if he is able to start in June and puts up a big month of June, and depending on where the Rangers are at that point, if the Rangers are still in contention for the playoffs at that point, you know, and Culberson and or Holt are playing well, or Andy Ibanez is playing well, the Rangers now have a third, third baseman on the roster. You know, if those guys are playing well, there'd be no reason to call up Josh Young. You know, if the Rangers are not in contention at that point, it's a whole different story. If the whole season then becomes about development, you know, as long as Josh has played pretty well, then, you know, he probably comes up in July. But the way things are going right now, you know, he would have to get red hot, sustain that, and have the Rangers drop out of contention, you know, for him to get an opportunity, all of which is very possible and all of which is what everybody expected going into the season. Yeah, and the other the other one I was going to ask you about is my alma mater, a guy uh, played at Baylor, Davis Wenzel. Uh, you got to see him a little bit at spring training. I'm sure you admired that huge uh, head of hair that he had, uh, Eric, but uh, did, is Davis Wenzel, like, what is he, what are you hearing kind of about him as far as uh, – uh, how they how they feel about him and and when he might arrive? Yeah, you know they love him, but you know it's another case. You know, if he if he gets hot in the minor leagues, you know 
they'll probably find a place for him. You know, depends a lot on, you know, same sort of thing. How well is everybody else playing at the various positions that, you know, he'll be able to play? Um, you know, how hot does he get to force his way to the major leagues? And is there an opening? Um, you know, going into the season, you know, what I thought was um, the year is going to be totally about development and letting kids play. And again, it may still work out that way, but now a quarter of the way into the season, uh, this team looks like it could conceivably be in contention for a playoff berth. Um, a month from now, that might not be the case, but if it is, then, you know, they got to keep trying to win games. Yeah, and uh, it, you brought it up earlier. It's fascinating to, to you go into a season and the bullpen's not only banged up, you, you have no clue who's going to be, you know, who your go-to guys are in the bullpen, and suddenly it stabilizes, and you've seen this over the years. You can, you can think you have a great bullpen, and it ends up being a, a very frustrating thing for a team, and then you can think you're really struggling there, and it can end up being the backbone of your team. And right now, as you pointed out, it's been it's been pretty incredible, and in, in fact, it's 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 a little shocking. Even time like King or somebody has a little issue, like they did last night, it's it's very surprising to see. All right, Eric, have a great one. We appreciate you. Okay, Mo. We'll see you. Bye, Steve. There-